Talking to Con Fam, who is a candidate for House District 46, which is Southeast Portland, running for the State House and joining us now. Con, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. How are you spending your day? It's got to be challenging to campaign in the context of a national, an international pandemic. Yeah, it's challenging on, on multiple levels, uh, both the ways in which my family and friends and community have been impacted and, and also the added layer of running for office. I spend my days like a lot of parents working families right now. I'm, I have my five-year-old daughter at home with me. Her school is shut down for the indefinite future. And, and uh, she's, you know, I'm juggling conference calls for my day job at Opal Environmental Justice Oregon and, and coordinating the Oregon Just Transition Alliance, which is a statewide alliance. I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do my work from home, but it's hard. I'm, I'm trying to take care of her and work and, and also uh, lead my campaign i'm we're, we're shifting from our kind of field strategy that we had uh, planned for door knocking and trying to figure out ways to continue to have those same conversations but now online to, to protect our to protect our public health and, and the health of our volunteers yeah how are you going to do those conversations what are the alternates are you doing what businesses are doing and just going to be uh uh, going to be doing Zoom calls and sending out emails, raising money and doing mail pieces. How are you going to engage with the campaign? Well, one example is what we tried, what we did yesterday. We did a community conversation on Facebook Live, and I invited the current representative, Alyssa Kenny Geyer, and Duncan Wong from Apano, the Asian Pacific American Network of Oregon, to come join me on a Zoom webinar and talk about some of the community stories and responses that we're hearing to the crisis and what the state is doing to, to address some of these, these really stark stories that we're hearing about families worried about losing their jobs or, I mean, we have already 20% unemployment rate now and just in the last week nationally and, and parents worried about childcare for the parents who can't work from home and, and, and even those who can, um, yeah, so it was, it was it was the first time that we really tried as a campaign to figure out how do we bring people together even when we're physically distancing. It doesn't mean that we're gonna we have to be socially isolated. And now more than ever, we need to be coming together to to hear our stories, hear the challenges, and come up with solutions together. So I'm I'm hopeful, I'm hope, cautiously hopeful that we can use these new technologies to continue to organize our communities like we've always done, but now with just a new in in new ways. Talk about the campaign. What do you see as the key differences between you and the other, the your sort of opposition or counterpart in the in the race? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm the only community organizer in the in the race. I have been organizing for two decades, and particularly here in the J District, the heart of House District 46. I, you know, the J District is one of the most diverse census tracts in the state. And it has one of the highest concentrations of Asians and Pacific Islanders, as well as many other immigrant communities. And I bring that experience of knocking on doors, having conversations with all the diverse communities that this that are in House District 46. And and I'm committed to bringing those voices, and not just bringing those voices, but actually making sure I'm bringing the communities that I've been organizing with for years now to Salem to make sure that we're. Our stories, our experiences are really represented in the solutions and policies that are put forth in this really critical time now as we face an economic recession, 
we need to make sure that the people who are going to be hurt the most are are really considered and and really leading the the solutions as well. How does that manifest in policy differences? Certainly there are differences of representation, of lived experience, and some really valid kind of background human differentiations in any race, and certainly in this one. How does that play itself out in how y'all vote differently or how you'll prioritize issues differently? Where are some key issue differences? Well, in an economic recession, we're going to have to make decisions about who is going to be prioritized in the economic recovery. We're already seeing at the national level, as the House considers a stimulus bill, the ways in which corporations who have powerful lobbyists can can push to make sure that they get tax breaks, even as Oregon has the lowest, some of the lowest, has given some of the lowest tax rates to corporations already. They're getting huge tax breaks, but they're they're going to continue to push for those in the midst of crisis. While, while Oregon's most vulnerable families have to have to shoulder the burden of of joblessness and not and and have to have increasingly had to shoulder the burden of funding our social services our social safety net and right now more than ever we need to invest in our social safety net and corporations need to pay their fair share so i think it shows up in votes because i'm willing to fight you have to you have to think about who's going to fight for for working class families who who comes from working class you know working households that that knows the struggle of 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 working families and immigrants and 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 that's that's how it shows up in in the votes so give a particular example where's a place let's say jeff kogan would stand where you would stand differently or vice versa well i think that i as i mentioned um i i've never we you know I, I don't, we haven't been governing yet, but I would say that when it comes to uh, corporate taxes, I don't know for sure, you know, how he would vote, but I do know that we come from very different backgrounds and we... um, So you're hinting you think he's corporate tax friendly. You think that, you think he'd give more breaks to to, uh, wealthy organizations. You know, I really don't. I can't really speak for him, to be honest. I really, all I know is that the question that for voters have to consider right now is really what kind of leadership do you want in this crisis? And who, where do, where do you want your leadership to come from? Do you want it to come from grassroots community organizers who've been working for years now in this district? Um, who do you trust to fight for jobs and for the environment? I've shown that through fighting for the Portland Clean Energy Fund, which raises $50 million a year by taxing billion-dollar corporations, just 1%. And that's the, kind of, that's the kind of revenue form we need. And I think that's the question that voters are going to have to ask themselves is, is who do you trust right now to when, when we're facing an economic recession to fight for uh, the interests of working-class families um, to make sure that their, our, our interests are... Are really are really taken into account when we when we determine the policies and and who's going to be who is going to be protected in this um, economic recovery. What's your favorite idea for new revenue? What's your least favorite idea, either for new revenue or least favorite kind of revenue we get right now? Um, I would say one of my least favorites is the kicker. I think it's. Very well, that's how we lose revenue. I'm talking about how we actually get it. 
how we actually get how the revenue. state actually gets revenue. Yeah, what are your what are your favorite ways for the state to get more revenue, or what are your least favorite ways for the state to get more revenue? And no disagreement on the kicker. You can kick around the kicker. That's just that yeah. tends to be how we send away the state sends away money rather than how it collects it. Yeah, I would say one of my least favorite or one of my most favorite ways is to. It's, I mean, they're the same thing, really. It's about corporate taxation. I think one of my least favorite aspects is that we have the lowest rate of taxation of corporations in the country, and it has led to such underfunded schools. We have the lowest graduation rates in the country, and it, sh- and it shows in our children. And um, I would say that we need to figure out ways through things like the gross receipts taxes and, and figure out how we can just more make our tax system more equitable to reflect the values of our of our state. How would you do about capital gains taxes? You know, I I think that capital gains taxes need to be more equal to income taxes. Um, it's obviously cap, the people who benefit from capital gains are the wealthy, and we need to ensure that their wealth is is treated equally, just like the income of working class families. You know, I. I'm not an expert on tax policy, but what I am an expert on is the experiences of my family and also the experiences of communities of families like mine, the communities that I've been talking with and organizing with for years now. Um, the Portland Clean Energy Fund showed me that we actually can unite and get together and fight for equitable tax policy and get real, win real things for our communities, in this case, $50 million a year that we're going to invest in jobs right now that our communities desperately need in this time and, and do it in, by building a more renewable economy and, and investing in energy efficiency. And those are the things that my community needs right now more than ever as we're facing huge rates of joblessness. What are areas in addition to that that you do like to get policy nerdy in that do, that we're, we're, if not policy expert, but where you do like to delve into? I mean, I actually am really interested in revenue reform. I actually, I just meant that I know where I need to turn as a community organizer. I need to turn to groups like the Oregon Center for Public Policy, to, you know, economists and, you know, folks who are, who study this and, and look at the policy pathways. But actually, I would have to say I, I do personally am uh, kind of a nerd when it comes to economics popular economics, at least, and, and the ways in which our tax policy does have huge impacts on all the issues that I care most about, um, whether it's health care or education spending, um, housing, rental assistance. Those are the, the things that I care most about, and I think tax policy is at the heart of that. Any ways you could imagine boosting state revenue? I remember an old state representative, uh, probably, yeah, he'd probably consider himself, he probably wouldn't name himself, but might consider himself a you know, borderline democratic socialist uh, who said, uh, old guys now passed away. And he said, Jeff, whatever you do, please do something that will raise revenue without increasing taxes. And I've thought a lot about it since then and generated some generated some opinions. This isn't my interview. It's yours. How would you respond to that idea of how we might build revenue distinct from raising taxes? I think it's about who you're raising taxes from. I think that we've seen at the national level and also at the state level, there's been changes over the last 30 years in in Oregon where corporations used to make up something like 17% of our of our state's revenue, and now they 
they, they only contribute about 5%. And we saw in 2017 and 2018, the Trump administration gave a 40% tax cut to, to the largest wealthiest corporations. And so I do think it's about ultimately taxes for the billion dollar corporations that are that have benefited tremendously over the past few years and yet are continuing to ask for handouts even in the midst of of this crisis or using this crisis to ask for more bailouts. So for me, I know that there's more than enough money in the state to do to take care of 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 the communities of our communities and to fund the social services that we need. It's really just about finding, finding the political will to do it. Let's talk about democracy and the process by which we make decisions. What's the craziest idea? And once I characterize it as a crazy idea, maybe you don't want to mess with it, but what's the craziest idea, whether it's a particular way you would limit campaign contributions or you would invent, you know, give public funding to political campaigns or having multi-member districts or having or doing something like ranked choice voting or star voting? What's sort of the craziest thing that feels the least sort of mainstream way that you would consider, not even just read about, not even just consider, but actually support changing in terms of our current structure of democracy? Hmm. I think ranked choice voting is a very reasonable um, solution to, to making sure that we have more representative democracy. Um, I think I think we need to address, we need to consider all these solutions. And I am totally open. I feel like my communities that I have been organizing in particularly have have not always felt, um, because cause we as, as uh, people engaging in campaigns haven't done a good enough job in really explaining the impacts of voting and why it is important, how elections do really have huge impacts on on all the issues that we care on our families, on our schools. I think that we need to explore um, all those ideas that you talked about. We need to fig- figure out how can we have more representation for communities if it means multi-member representation. I, I haven't I haven't deeply researched them, but I, I all what I do know is that our communities need, that we need to radically transform how we campaign and how we elect our, our leadership because right now there's a vast divide, particularly in Oregon. Uh, in my district, House District 46, we have some of the highest concentrations, as I mentioned, of immigrants and Asians and Pacific Islanders, and yet we've never had a single Asian or Pacific Islander representative in our state to represent this district. And and that is just a... Ne- never had an Asian... Of, you're not saying there's never been an, no, an Asian Pacific... District. Right, right, right. right. To, to represent this district, which has the highest concentration mm-hmm. in the J district, has the highest concentration of Asians and Pacific Islanders. There's never been an Asian or Pacific Islander to represent mm-hmm. to represent us, and uh, and that makes a difference in terms of how people see our government, whether they see themselves reflected in our government. And if we want to have healthy democracy, if we want to have, especially in this crisis, uh, communities really represented in their stories being listened to and, and their policy reflecting their experiences, we need to have leadership that comes from from all the diverse communities of Oregon. And appreciate that and want to recognize and make sure we amplify that space that where we stand has a significant impact on what we see and where we end up. 
and very much appreciate that. As you're, it, it sounds to me like your policy approach, or much of what you've offered in your policy approach, is, well, I want to listen to the right people. And then you name some examples of who those right people are. And in this state, I can also make some additional guesses, right? As somebody who's uh, with, uh, with your public organizing, with your community organizing background, as somebody who helped champion uh, an important uh, revenue uh, revenue raising project, you know, we can, I can make some, in running in a Democratic primary in Portland, there's certain assumptions I might make, certain guesses I might make about who you might listen to. What would be, some, what would be an impri- a surprising source of information that you would go to? Well, to pass the Portland Clean Energy Fund, we had to put surprising uh, bedfellows together, right? We had the building trades with with lab- uh, the building trades with environmental groups. Um, so I I feel like I'm a bridge builder. I I go to I go to groups that often don't agree with each other and try to find find solutions. You know, listen to listen to their advice and solutions even when they they don't always agree. So I, I'm not sure if I would say they're surprising, but I guess I would say that I would reach out to folks across the spectrum um, on a variety of issues. We have I have the building trades endorsing me, which often takes very different positions from me, but I, I really trust their their guidance and leadership as well because um, I know that as we are trying to build a more renewable future, we need the builders, <laughs> and the people who are actually have expertise in building to be able to to guide this transition that, that is happening. My guess would be, and you can disabuse me of this guess, but my guess would be with the building trades endorsement, that means that you would be in favor, or at least not strongly opposed, that the biggest difference between you and, let's say, Jeff Kogan would be his opposition to, his given vocal opposition to uh, the expansion of I-5, including a bridge to Vancouver. Uh, any disagreement with, from his position? Obviously, he has a different position from the building trades. Where do you land? Um, I am also opposed. I, that building trade supports me because they see that we, because we, they have seen and recognized my experience as a, as a bridge builder. In my interview, we acknowledge that we don't always see eye to eye on many issues, but when it comes to the ability to, to build coalitions, to actually listen, I, I committed to actually listening and, um, always having an open ear to be able to be open to dialogue. But it doesn't mean that you're always going to agree with the people who endorse you. And that's something that we both, <laughs> we both are very clear about um, in, our, in our talks. What would you do about the, the proposed Columbia River crossing, by whatever name, the idea to put a few billion dollars to tear down the current bridge and to build a new highway system over there? You know, I have been really committed to environmental justice for my entire career, and I think it's really important in this time of crisis when we have 10 years to take really radical action. We need, we cannot be investing billions of dollars in in expanding freeways and and in, in freeway infra- and fossil fuel infrastructure. So I, 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 as a legislator, I don't have direct. I have some, I have some say, but I would, yeah, I'm opposed to expanding freeways in this time of climate crisis. And I do think, I mean, this has been a priority for Tina Kotek. Tina Kotek isn't going to be your boss, but is going to make committee assignments. And the uh, and this is the biggest priority for the building trades and therefore has been one of the biggest priorities for, uh, for major Democratic Party power in the state, at least elected power. And that very much has included Tina Kotek. And the only real way to block it is if there were a group of legislators who would stand together. You could do it with eight of them, particularly if it required any kind of gas tax and said, hey, the eight of us 
businesses aren't going to support the aren't, aren't going to support a transportation package unless it uh, doesn't include highway expansions. With that reality, how would you, is that the kind of thing you do? Is that like, well, I don't really want to mess with that as a as a freshman in the legislature, or you'd want to learn more about it? How would you approach that prospect? As a, as a freshman, I would seek to to learn from my other legislators. I I've stated that I don't think this is the right direction, and I would do everything in my power that. To, to share my perspective and to advocate for the communities that I've been representing about who aren't going to benefit from this and we're actually going to be hurt if we if our state doesn't take the important climate actions that we need to invest in. Where are other areas that we need to do better when it comes to climate? Obviously, it was the climate package that got uh, killed by Republicans walking out. But what are other areas that you'd prioritize that you think from your own experience, from your district, from the folks that you're going to be advocating for in your district and throughout this state? Where do you want to go in a different direction? One of the key things that I've been working on for the last year is working with statewide groups on an Oregon Green New Deal vision and platform. And that includes so many different um, areas. I think it to take climate action, we need to address our transportation system. Uh, we need to, to broaden how we can use highway trust fund dollars to ensure that we can actually invest in more active transportation, like biking, walking, public transit. Those are the ways, those are the areas that we need to be investing rather than uh, restricting our dollars to highways and bridges. I think we also need to be investing in 100% renewable energy that is community controlled. Um, I would look at uh, 100% renewable portfolio standards and and uh, how can we how can we make sure that the benefits are actually going to community-based projects and 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 going to communities. Um, and I so those are those are two of the ways I think transportation and clean energy are are two key areas that I would I would focus on. What have you learned in the campaign? <laughs> what have I learned? I've learned so much about um, about all the organizations that it takes to to, to talk to. I, I've gone through. I must have talked to you know. It feels like I've talked to hundreds of people um, from labor, like I mentioned, to small businesses to. Uh, to environmental organizations and communities of color, I've I've learned what it means to 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 listen to all different stakeholders and to to really find shared interests and shared values to really at least ground ourselves in shared values, um, and that's that's been um, that's been that's been a really great experience. It's been um, similar to what community organizing is, and I guess it's given me an insight into how governing is in many ways from a different platform, but uses some of the same skills as, a, as an organizer that I've had to draw on. What's either the most recent or the most significant time when you have changed a position, when your uh, viewpoint has significantly altered? I would say with the most recent cap-and-trade bill, um, I started out working on it in 2015, um, started to learn about it in 2015 and was doing climate justice workshops. And, you know, um, I generally had a, was focused more on the problems of climate change and trusted that um, others would take care of the solution. So I, you know, often in these movements, our communities, communities of color are kind of just the voices of the impacts, right? So we, we lifted up the impacts that we're seeing in our communities, both 
both here and also back in our homeland. So I, I really focused a lot on telling people about the impacts of climate change. And it wasn't until uh, several years as I was doing more research about the actual uh, policy um, details of the cap-and-trade system and the auctioning of permits and how utilities and uh, retail, you know, polluters get these free allowances that I started to delve more deeply into it. And um, by after a few years and also reaching out to communities in California, I realized that actually this policy that I would kind of been unthinkingly including in my climate justice workshops uh, actually have real problems for the ref- communities that live around refineries that um, then... The cap and trade, the, the element yeah. of cap and trade or cap and trade overall? Cap and trade overall in California, but yeah. I think it's the same system that we, we were considering, um, that because polluters can just buy and trade allowances, and for them, the minimal cost of the permits is nothing, and they can just pass it on to the consumers. So, so then the mostly low-income black and brown communities that live around refineries have higher rates of cancer, higher rates of asthma, and and it actually oil and gas emissions have slightly increased in those areas because because of the way the trading system works, and that's led to me shifting my position and and ultimately going in opposition. So where does that where where does that put you on the proposal? And you're closer to it than I am. Where does that put you on the proposal that was uh, being wrangled with in the in the House and Senate in this last session? Uh, that puts me in opposition to the the most recent proposal, which never really got uh, considered because of the Republican walkout. Um, and you know, I'm totally completely opposed to the Republican walkout. I think, that regardless of my concerns about cap and trade, I I absolutely oppose this attack on democracy. And, and so, yeah, that's that's what happened. What What would you do instead of a cap and trade or cap and invest policy? I, I would, and I will say, offer my own bias. Uh, although I'm not a big uh, tr- uh, credit trading fan, uh, the to me, cost internalization people having to pay when they pollute and then taking that money to uh, either send people, send human beings checks or to reinvest to address some of the problems of pollution. I tend to be sort of in favor of that. So you can disabuse me of that also. But uh, what do you tend to prefer to a cap and trade system? I mean, I definitely think that, I mean, we should definitely make sure that we're internalizing the costs of, of pollution. I just think that it's, uh, price signals in this moment are just are a relatively weaker tool than actually direct regulation. It would be different if we were perhaps in the 1980s when we might have we had more time to actually slowly tamper down and and, and use price signals to, to to incentivize actions. But at this moment, when we've seen fossil fuel corporations can just easily incorporate it into their business model, we need to take direct action through regulations and. And in California, that's been the way, the most effective levers to, to get to get corporations and, and polluters to take to change their behavior. We we have 10 years to take to take serious action, and we need to cut our fossil fuel emissions in half. That's huge. If we want to just even have a livable planet, and I want, I'm running. One big reason I'm running is because I want to be able to look my daughter in the eye and say that in 2020, when scientists told us we have 10 years to actually take true meaningful action that that is a 40% reduction in emissions we that I did everything I could and that doesn't mean you know a small minim, minimal price signal it means actually stopping polluted pollution at the source 
What's this? Any we any personal weakness? Anything you're not great at? What's the, something you struggle with, or that you need to either improve at or hire for to address because it's sort of a blind spot of yours or a weakness of yours? I mean, I, you know, as a community organizer, I recognize I I have many areas that I could improve on. I could be a better public speaker. I um, need a lot more policy expertise on a range of issues that the legislature deals with. Um, and I would definitely hire and look to, and also uh, look to forming kitchen cabinets, advisory advisory councils for me to get to help me stay abreast of, of what uh, what key policy solutions are possible. What are what are the challenges of each of each um, issue area and policy proposal? I I think I I'm used. I don't feel like this campaign is really about me per se and 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 my my own unique weaknesses or strengths it's really about this movement that we're building and the communities that have started to to build power we we got our taste of power of what it feels like to win with the portland clean energy fund and we're going to take this to the state level now we know know that racial justice is climate justice and economic justice is climate justice and so uh, we are building that vision that uh, that what what we can do when we're united as labor as as communities of color, as environmentalists, we can we can take that power and we can continue to to push our vision at the state level. And and I don't I think that with all of us together, um, with all the different strengths and weaknesses we bring, we can actually win. And one of the biggest dynamics, and and for so many people, one of the most exciting dynamics about uh, Oregon politics over the last, let's say, ten years, you can you could have a more accurate timetable than I, uh, has been the uh, growth and the rise of racial justice in within the liberal and progressive coalition, and the rise of power of, of people of color and leaders of color in our town. Uh, the as we see a rise of of Apano and Opal and and other members of the uh, Communities of Color Coalition arriving into elected power with an argument that, hey, wait a minute, we actually need lived experience to inform our uh, our not only our elected leadership, but also policymaking. And there is this movement, as you mentioned, of, of th- that, that includes endorsers and campaign contributions and grassroots organizing and community organizers. What are some of the key priorities you think that, that a, you know, let's call them a white ally member of the legislature would not champion as effectively or might just be wrong on that you want to make sure or that you want to make sure that people are aware of? I think immigrant justice is a key issue area that our communities have stood up because, you know, a lot of times in our typical campaigns and our legislators sometimes uh, in campaigns really lift up the people who are voters, the people who can vote. But if anything, this coronavirus has taught us is that all of us are interconnected. And if any of us are not taken care of, it affects all of us, and we are immigrants. Whatever their immigration status, are contributing, are working. They're they're providing, they're working in the grocery store. They're providing our food. They're they're really in, integral members of our of our society and our economy. And and I don't think all legislators have have seen how we need to include all immigrants in whether it's expanding health access or um, unemployment benefits, reproductive health care. We we really need to to make sure that all of all Oregonians are, are being served by our state's policies. What should I've asked you that I didn't? What's an area that you think is getting too little attention in the race? 
Well, I, <laughs> I think that we are going to face a really critical time right now. This this year and the next coming years are going to be uh, a turning point for Oregon and for the rest of the country. And I think, um, I think in this moment we need to be asking what kind of leadership we need um, as we face down an economic recession and who's, who do you trust to, to actually make critical decisions about this economic recovery. Um, uh, I don't know if it's a question, but I think th- those are the questions that I think voters are going to be considering during during this time when How's the governor done? there's so much uncertainty. Did the governor wait too long to declare a uh, to, to declare some degree of a stay at home order? And was her stay at home order too weak? I think that uh, I think that the governor was trying to make the best decisions that she could. I think that in hindsight, we we could have taken it a little bit earlier but i think it's it's a tough it's a tough decision i think what i do see from the governor's orders now are that we're that the orders are centering public safety and public health and that's what i think we need to do i think the economy the economic impacts we can we can find policy solutions for um we can we can attempt to alleviate them but what we can't do is bring that bring back bring back lives and our economy is at the heart it's about people and i think we need to center our people and the health of our of our, our people first. So um, I think that's that's what I agree with. That's what I would center in, in my policy responses to this, this crisis. You have an impressive set of organizational endorsements. The, you already, we already danced on this topic a little bit when we talked about the building trades. Any, uh, the, the advantage of that, I think, in this campaign in particular, more than others, is that there's going to be so much less door-to-door, so many fewer house parties, so much less word getting around, so much less attention generally spent to elections, particularly local elections. And therefore, a lot of people, I'm guessing, are going to be making their decision based on the mail pieces they receive and the voters' pamphlet they look at and trying to rely on proxies. That's good news to getting endorsements. One potential you know, I don't know, cloudy lining is that there does then set up a set of expectations that you'll be roughly speaking lockstep with folks. And I, I of course, am prepared for and know the answer. Well, you know, I will work with them, but I, I don't always agree with them. Any specific areas where you find disagreement and where on a endorsement form you indicated that disagreement with one of your organizational endorsers? Yes, yes. Um I would say with, as I mentioned, uh, with cap and trade, uh, I, the Oregon League of Conservation Voters, which has been pushing and supporting this the cap and trade, the cap and invest bill for many years now. Um, it's, it's their top priority. That was their first question, their top question. And, and I had to be honest that, that I disagree with them on it, but I, I explained why my reasons for why, and that we share the same priorities. I just have a strategic, a different assessment of, the best strategy, and I think they understood that we we need that that my values are the same. That that we need. That I will definitely champion climate justice in the legislature, and so um, and so they ultimately ended up endorsing me. And are and we're discussing. We just discussed. We were just talking on the phone yesterday about how they could support my campaign. Con fam, I appreciate so much you spending this time. I know it's a tremendous amount of work and taking away some of your time to be with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Con fam, candidate for House District 46 for the state legislature. Thanks for listening. You're listening to X-Ray, where radio is yours.